Welcome to the Pin Leader Podcast, where strategic leaders get straight to the topics, strengthening our awareness and sharpening our minds. The Pin Leader Podcast is produced by Roar, a production division of Maze and Associates LTD. Find out more at www.maysassociatesltd.com. Now here is your award-winning host, Dr. Shan DeGore. Welcome back, everyone, to the Pin Leader Podcast. I'm excited today to talk about working skills for life, and I have a great guest with me who has spent a large portion of her life working in the betterment of workforce development, and her name is Stephanie Boutte, and she is the president of Houston's Training and Education Center, which started in 1998. Uh, she develops high-demand training programs to cater to distressed communities or underestimated communities, as she says. In addition to being president of HTech, she's the founder of the HTech Accreditation and Compliance Consultants, and she has more than 26 years of experience in vocational training. Uh, she's gained national recognition by helping communities become self-sufficient through high-demand training programs and employment. Her popularity, I love this, increased after developing training programs for students to avoid debt caused by student loans. And everybody knows that that, uh, that's a challenge. Um, Turn-in Training and Education Center, there's one now in Toledo, Ohio, but she actually is involved and opens, um, has owned schools, owns a school, but also helps set up schools around the United States. Um, she's a graduate of Northwestern State University, uh, and she's really focused uh, with her experience on startup career schools, curriculum development, writing policy, and procedures for programs for all across the United States. Um, volunteering her time to assist with GED adult literacy programs and after school readings are personal goals she actually continues to reach for. So without further ado, welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to have you on here to really talk about some subject areas with um, concerning workforce. And there's a number of leaders uh, who own companies who are out here who are struggling with finding workforce or finding individuals who have the skill set to carry on work within their companies. And so there's this uh, with COVID and there's a work shortage. And then there was now a workforce shortage. Uh, you know, what are, what are you doing to counter that? And how do your schools play a factor in that? Well, one of the things that I focus on is self-sufficiency. So if they are in an industry and they're offering positions or careers that's helping people become self-sufficient, and when I say self-sufficient, I mean people that don't have to rely on food stamps, the food bank, two, three jobs to just make ends meet. So if they have a program, well, if they're offering employment opportunities like that, it has to be on the high demand list. And that's an opportunity for us to train them through government-funded programs. If it's not on the high demand list, it's very difficult for me to get programs approved through a state. So that's one of the first things. The state, the local state, the local county, and the federal government have a list of high demand programs in the area. So it could be just a statewide program, it could be local, and so forth. So what I do is, if, if a company calls me and say, listen, I need more people to work in retail, the first thing I will do is I'll see where they are, do they zip code, and see if it's on the high demand list. Because most of the clients that I cater to, 
they can't afford a $20,000 program. Mm -hmm. And my goal is ultimately to make sure that they're not in debt because even if they're becoming self-sufficient, it's real difficult to, to survive with an extra $400 a month loan payment or more. So what are some of those high demand jobs that you're really addressing that there's gaps? Well, well right now we've been approaching the, I'm going to talk about the Toledo area. In the Toledo area, medical and construction is really, really big. So all of the unions have reached out to me and they want to partner with us to do a feeder for their unions, for their um, construction trades. We got HVAC, got fiber optics and so forth. So the construction trades are really, really popular. The other area is fiber optics. So all the telecommunication companies in the area, have we work with them. Mm-hmm. So that's a high demand job. And I when I say a high demand job, there's... I'd say Buckeye will probably hire everybody coming out of a class mm-hmm. and start them with a minimum of $22, $23 an hour. And if you're 17, 18 years old with a high school diploma or a GD, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that's one area of the country. And because this podcast is all over, mm-hmm. um, can you give some uh, examples of what it might look like in other cities? Houston. Uh, Let's Houston. go to Houston. Houston, okay. surgical, surgical tech, medical. Ah. So we used to do medical and phlebotomy in Houston, mm-hmm. but it's now saturated. Mm-hmm. And so we had to think of other ways to help people become self-sufficient. And surgical tech was another booming demand program in Houston. So now we're doing surgical tech. We make sure that the jobs are there and the pay is there. Those are the two things I do first. I've had a lot of medical clinics and hospitals want me to do a CNA program, an STNA program. And I always have to say no, because it doesn't lead to self-sufficiency. And I have a problem with it. It was a company here. I can't remember who it was, but they were really aggressive with me doing an STNA program. And so I said, no, the pay wasn't good. And I asked them, I said, can you tell me after so many months being an STNA, how do they get promoted? And how? what are the career career chances of them climbing the ladder. So they couldn't tell me that. So I had to do my own research because the lady kept calling me and she just really wanted me to do this program. And so I, I did my own little analysis and I didn't find a lot of individuals being promoted or because the hours were so much like when an STNA gets hired, she's working almost 60, 50, 60 hours a week. My concern with it was that it didn't lead for any type of career opportunity. So it's like if you was an STNA, I just found that everybody stayed there. Wow. Like you found STNAs for 20, 30 years, and I have a problem with offering a, a minimum wage training. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's understandable because you're looking for the opportunity, for, especially with distressed communities, for growth outside wherever they're, whatever that stressor is. And, yes. and this goes to social economic impact. Bingo, bingo. Right? Very, very important. I'm, I get emotional sometimes when I talk about the, the social economic impact that we make in areas, because when we moved to uh, the Midwest, we put a, over 165 people to work in one year, which was over $2.8 million worth of F- economic growth in one little town. What was really interesting with that is that I couldn't get a lot of political support, and I'm in your district. Look at all these people that never had jobs a day in their life. I've, I've shown research and, and the status of the students coming from four generations of poverty. Mm-hmm. I've had moms, sisters, aunties that live in the project housing unit 
when they grandmother or great grandmother lived in it. I've seen youth that was having babies at 12 and 13, kids now turning 18 and their parents only 12, 13 years older. And so everybody's going to work. And so you would think that everybody would say, okay, this is how we're going to get crime down. Develop the workforce. It's a win-win for everything. Home ownership goes up. Credit goes up. It's just so many things that happens in, in an economy when you train your workforce, especially the youth. And I call them underestimated. I don't like to call them low income <laughs> or, or at risk, right. you know, because right. a lot of, but, but here's the thing that I'm noticing now. When we open up training schools, everywhere I go, I always see opportunities for the youth. Like if you go to the high schools, you'll see a construction trade in the school or you'll see opportunities for the youth in high school. Mm -hmm. But whatever happened to those that dropped out? Mm. What happened to, I call them dislocated workers. They've been on, on their manufacturing job for 20 years and they have no skills and the plant just closed. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with them? And there's nothing out there for them to do. So that's kind of like the people that I kind of focus on. I, I don't know if, if you would call them that left behind person, but they exist. You know what, when you talk about uh, looking at potential students, mm -hmm. you talked about what left behind or those that again dropped out and so they're not in the system. Uh, or at least in a system of being able to get a skill. Um, what do you look for? Because these are potentially future leaders of tomorrow. What do you look for in the individual to know that they're going to be successful in your schools? Most of the time, we're all involved. Like my team and I, we're there every day. So we don't outsource our assessments. When I do enrollment, I'm sitting next to them, you know, and it's my opportunity to talk to them, see what's going on. And we do a formal assessment and to see... You know, I may have a student say, oh, I want to do medical assistant. And then once we visit with them and we assess them, they don't like blood. Of course you can't get in the medical assistant. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, so it's our way of seeing 90% of our students, they've had major challenges. So we deal, we have to deal with mental health. Mm -hmm. We have to teach financial literacy. We do social programming. If a student enrolls in my program for 11 months, I have 11 months to get them where they need to be. From the day they walk in, from the day, from the time they graduate, we don't even recognize them. The language, we even make them look at us when we speak. We, we make them do presentations. We teach them com business communications. Um, a lot of our males that take construction, they don't know much about the computer. So we teach them emailing. We teach them how to properly communicate. We teach them how to use Word. So because now in the construction industry, if you're working with a smaller company, they give them laptops, mm -hmm. you know, and they have to put in their work orders. And they, when they go to someone's residence, they have to communicate. They got to look at them in the eye. They can't look down, you know. So we teach all of that. And I normally try to use my programs as a feeder um, for businesses and other schools. So, for example, if I do a medical assistant program right now I in Toledo, Ohio, what I do is I, I get them in there and I monitor them for like six, eight six to eight months. Mm -hmm. And when they get close to a year, I try to get them to go back to get their nursing degree or their mm -hmm. RN. You know, I, I bring them back into school. Mm -hmm. I go on their job. And, you know, I have a team of people because we monitor. And we'll say, you know, um, you need to look at the opportunities within your company to see if they'll pay for you to go to nursing school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, you need to come back and maybe we could do an articulation agreement with the community college or um, University of Toledo. That's the ultimate goal is to, once you get them in there, 
They're mm-hmm. going to excel. I've had kids that were in gangs in 2000 in the airport four years ago. Young guy, he was gang member. Crazy. I remember him so well. And he was in the pre-med. There you go. Mm-hmm. Pre-med. Mm-hmm. So it, it, my goal, because I'm a product of the community that I service. And so I became who I am because I had exposure. Mm-hmm. I got to see women, professional women. They were articulate. They they were shandy. <laughs> really, they spoke well. They were loyal. They were dependable. They were honest. So I got to see all of that. I had never really been exposed to that because I grew up in the country. And when you grew up in the country, we just work, we work farms and stuff. So it was an opportunity for me to be exposed. And when I got exposed, I never turned back. I, I kept looking. There was a lady. I always talk about her in all my interviews. Her name is Dolly Mahoney. Y'all got to Google her. <laughs> She ended up, she, she was, she worked with me and I was enamored with her. I would watch her and she, she would deal with so much on the job, but she was always so professional. And I would always say to myself, I was like eight. I said, when I grew up, I want to, and that's what I like for my students to say, yeah, I want them in environments where they, I don't want them to just think that that life that they live, that's, that's it. I want them to see the other life. Mm -hmm. And so that even gives them an opportunity to move around. Not to say we want them to leave an area, but because you are, uh, your network is so wide, you've mm-hmm. got, um, I think you said five schools mm-hmm. that you're working across. Where are those cities? Where, where, what cities are they located? In? I have a school in Fort Pierce, Florida. I have a school in Fort Myers. Uh, Florida is like one of my biggest states in Fort Myers. I have another school in Plantation, um, Florida. I have a school in Kansas City, Missouri, the owner keep correcting me. <laughs> and I have one in Toledo. Our next location is Sacramento. And I'm, I'm seriously considering Milwaukee. I don't know yet, but those are, and I have a big project in South Africa. I'm still debating on doing because I'm getting older. Okay. And I have grandkids. So I don't know if I want to really work like that anymore. Like when I worked in my thirties and my forties, I want to, <laughs> I want to play with my grandbabies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and be super grandmother. <laughs> I can see what what a great mentor they'd have. <laughs> they watch you do all this great work. Oh man! They might want to travel with you. Oh, I'll, if my kids have my kids are so attached to their kids, they don't. They're not gonna let them go. They came last summer, and everybody came. I was trying to get them alone. But my daughter came, my son came, everybody came with their kids. I was like, this is not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bond. <laughs> you know, but you are the family, you're a family leader. Yes. Uh, you're the matriarch, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to come and see you. So there may be something uh, just besides them being maybe clinging with their children, but it may be just coming to see you too. Well, I know my daughter came just to spend time with me. She still sits on my lap and lay on me when she's around me. <laughs> It is what it is. If she's listening, um, yep, she just uh, spilled some tea. On oh, the... <laughs> and she's not embarrassed. I'll be at an event, and she'll walk in late and come sit right on my lap. I just hold her. I don't. I don't Aww. even tell her sit next to. Her. I just. I grab. It's just who she is. <laughs> well, it, all your graduates are are like they're part of your family. They um, are my family. Yes, and so you take that. So, say for example, if they were to move, or they wanted to say, you know, I'm not been out of this neighborhood. Uh, and I want to take the leap of moving mm-hmm. to potentially they could move to another city. You have a good network oh, yeah. that could help them. That happens all the time. I got, 
I had a student wanted to move to Dallas because she had family there and we made some connections and she's working in Dallas. I had another student that um, was doing HVAC and she wanted to move to Atlanta. I told her, stay on your job here because it was a, it was a large company and they had locations throughout the country. I said, work there for six months and then do a request for a transfer. And she's now in Atlanta sending me videos of her putting, installing units. <laughs> that's, that's great. I'm thinking about what's happening with EVs. Have you had anything with electric, electric vehicles or any kind of, um, where people want some skills built for that? It's, it's really, that's a, another high demand program. And one of the things that I have to be really, really careful about when I want to offer these programs, I love these programs, but they're so pricey. Mm. So if I don't have partners to partner with me to help me build labs or auto efficiency, um, type programs, it's kind of hard, you know? So, and it's costly. That would be a great program if I had a partner. Okay. Like, I'm going to give you an example. I have a company now. We're doing um, fiber optics. They're building us a lab, a state-of-the-art lab. It would cost me almost 80 grand just to do one lab. Okay. So that's, you know, so, and you want your your students, yeah, at the community college, you know, they get millions and millions of dollars. So they, their labs are state-of-the-art. And you want your students to have those type of um, labs and programs, and you want to hire the best instructors so when they go out, you know, they're skilled, mm -hmm. but it's costly. You know, leadership is, again, an, with our topic that we're talking, you're talking about future leaders and these vocational programs, those would might go off to own their own businesses in the area or, or again, work for somebody else, but also be a leader and maybe lead teams. You know, what is it that you would recommend? What are the characteristics of an effective leader that you see when they're successful? When you, when you ask me that question, I think about myself and I'm always trying to create other leaders. That's my thing. I, I like to create leaders with the environment that I normally deal with. I could see a leader by their communication skills and how they interact with everyone in the, in the class or in the school. Um, perseverance, um, dedication. And I, I don't like to use the word sacrifice, but a lot of my students, a lot of sacrifices just to enroll in school. And so for me to see them do that, if you have four kids and you're only 28 years old and you're coming to school 20 hours a week, come on, that's, that's, you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I would, I would say those are, are the, the traits that I look for. Great communication skills. Um, yeah, great. Just really communication skills. I do have some students that I have to really work with the communication skills because they'll tell you off in a minute. I say, good morning. And they'll say, well, what's so good about it? Okay, let's try this again. <laughs> go outside and I'll get up and I'll go stand by the door and then I'll, good morning. Good morning, Miss B. So, you know, so it's, <laughs> I know. <laughs> And they'll say that to me too. Like, what's so good about it? I'm, yeah. I'm usually uplifting, but I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I'll check myself if I'm like, what's going on here? Well, she's had me turn around and come back in. And, and you know, when I, whenever I travel, my success rates are always so good. You know, like I have, we had a class, we started a phlebotomy class with 15 students about six, seven weeks ago, three weeks in, not one absence, not one student was late. Mm. And I would stand by the window and just watch them. And somebody asked me, how do you get your retention so high? And it was like in all the classes. Like I was really impressed with the retention and how everybody comes. And, and one of the things I had to think about, and I said, is love and compassion. When our students come to our facilities all over the country, they are greeted with a lot of compassion. And that's, that makes a difference mm -hmm. when somebody 
address you by your name. How was your weekend? You know, I heard you had a party. Your, your baby turned two. You know, people like when you know what's going on in their life. And, and I, most of the time, my staff and I know all their children's names, you know. Mm-hmm. So, it's part of the family. Treatment of how um, those that work with you, but also with those that are actually come through your schools. So critically important. Um, you know, I, I ask this too peri- periodically of our guests. You know, if you could rank the importance of strength of being getting through challenges, which I think you mentioned today already, the um, going, keeping the course, being in the straight and narrow action and in planning, and then the sharpness of having the experience and the education to be successful. Where would you rank those as being the most important? Well, for me, the challenges, as it's been, it's gone on 32 years for me, and I've seen it all in my industry. I, I would go to Washington, D.C., and I would look at other schools, and I, I just, we have experienced so much as a growing school to a point now where I just focus on the, the service. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like whenever something goes wrong or like when we did an accreditation one year, um, they had so many applications and they stopped taking them and, and we were like the next school to be accredited and they pushed us back. And I was like, oh my God, that's going to be another 24 months. And then I said, you know what, that's okay. I just started focusing on building programs, focusing on the students. And one day my dad said to me, he said, you know, that's the secret to money, focusing on your product. That's one of the seven laws of money. So I went out and bought the book because my dad is an avid reader. Uh-huh. And and so I focus on my challenges always make me focus on why I started my school. And I always go back to the students mm-hmm. every single time. That's my strength, focusing on my service. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been eye-opening. I think when people look at schools or they drive by schools and they don't realize what's going on inside those walls and so much is going on, especially with not only workforce, but actually just helping generational um, support within a family unit. So I I can't thank you enough for being here today. I wanted to say one more thing before we, we close. Yes. One of the one of the personal goals that I've been doing with all of my schools now, and some of them don't want to walk on that path, but most of them do, is that I'm really focused on no debt mm-hmm. because of the population and the type of clients we deal with. If they could come out without student loans and not having to come out with low credit scores, they're already winning. Mm-hmm. And so that's my goal. No debt. That's why we, we do what we do. That's a whole other show with financial advising, <laughs> making that debt, um, good debt versus bad debt and having no debt. Yes. So. <laughs> I, yes, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank I appreciate that. Me. Thank you. So as always, we appreciate the listeners um, tuning in to Pin Leader Podcast. You know, don't forget to subscribe. Um, this is such a great topic area. And I know that um, we have future shows that address even more concerning leadership within programs, as well as leadership within companies and organizations. So we appreciate everyone, you know, sharpening your mind, staying straight on the topic um, and getting to the point. We're always getting to the point. So until next time. The Pen Leader Podcast is hosted by Dr. Shan DeGore and brought to you by Mason Associates LTD, creating customized solutions for growth in the areas of leadership development, strategic planning, and culture building. Find out more at www.maysassociatesltd.com. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the Pin Leader Podcast and share with others.